Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and joining me tonight is Danny and Scott. And this is a place where we attempt to have intelligent conversation about horror movies. And as always, we're very glad that you have joined us. And we hope that you'll take part of the conversation by leaving us comments, emailing us, and letting us know what you think about the films we're going to talk about tonight. So let's see what our friends are doing here. Scott, what's happening in California? Everybody doing okay there? Yeah, we're doing we're doing as well as can be expected. We're still in the pandemic um, lockdown or quarantine of 2020. But, um, you know, I, I'm really grateful to, in, in some ways, to live where we live because, you know, we have nice weather. Uh, there, it's always sunny. And that, that helps at least people like me that really helps keep the mood more balanced. You know, if I can go outside, get my, you know, my intake of sunshine, I'm a lot better. Yeah. What do you do when you go outside? You just take I some just walks walk. and yeah, we go on walks. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, or just kind of sit on our back. We have a little deck. So sometimes you can sit out there. And now, do, do you much. have a, you have a house? We live in a condo. Condo. Yeah. So like, yeah, cause is the housing, pretty brutal where you it's, live it's very expensive yeah yeah we live in irvine and in orange county and it is very expensive to be able to buy a house it's our goal to buy a house but we're not there yet yeah yeah very good well, i'm glad you're able to get out and enjoy the sunshine danny what about you man how are things going well there's not been any sunshine here that's for sure it's yeah. been raining almost non-stop for a month uh, but yeah everything's going fine um got the kids through their uh final weeks of at home uh homework and you know basic homeschooling something you do regularly but mm-hmm. uh you know got my daughter is finished she's we've got all our enrollment stuff done at uk she'll be heading off to the university at the end of the summer so that's kind of wild and weird and feels like it couldn't have been that long but 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 you know we're dealing with the uh same thing everyone's dealing with and it's it's going all right awesome you know one of the things that me and my wife are doing for the first time, and we're we're excited about this, but it's it's uncharted territory for us. And that is in the front of our house. We have a house, and there's flower beds on either side of our little front porch. And uh, we've always been really, really horrible at keeping up the flower beds. They're basically just grass growing in there, right? It looks terrible, and I basically just like mow our flower beds, right? And we decided, you know what? This is ridiculous. So we. We've been doing some work on the house and getting, we had a new roof put on and got windows replaced. I was like, we're going to just keep going. So instead of doing it ourselves, (laughs) we hired a couple of people who go to my church who have their own company and they're coming out to do full landscaping in both of our, you know, big flower beds in the front of our house, the full deal. They're going to dig it all up, put the mulch in, brand, brand new flowers, some bushes and yeah, we're really excited about it. It looks really, really cool. Do either of you have any experience with landscaping? Because I have none, so I'm really interested in what this is gonna what this is gonna be like. Scott, do you ever do any landscaping? I guess Not in a condo, it's a little hard, right? Yeah, we don't have a yard. <laughs> I mean, we've got we've got potted plants out on our deck, but we don't we don't have a yard. Some we have landscapers. I mean, there's green space all around us, and we have landscapers who come and keep things nice. But I have owned a house, and but you know, even then. I, you know, we hired someone to mow the grass. I didn't even do that. That's what I've always done. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I've never had time to really, in, you know, invest in it, uh, even my time. But this is uh, what I'm afraid of is we're going to do this and then we're going to enjoy it for one summer. Mm. The winter's going to come and then next summer we're not going to know really how to rejuvenate it. Does it just automatically come back? You know, like what, what are we going to need to do to keep our money going forward? So that's the thing I'm most nervous about. What, Danny, do you have any experience with landscaping? I don't know. No, I'm completely awful with it. Uh, and I live right up our property, butts up against the uh, bottom of a mountain. So you know, the most landscaping I normally do is just trying to fight back the wilderness, you know, All right, keep right. things as pushed back as as possible from from our yards. Uh, I have also been using some of this, you know. Uh, at home time to do a little bit of yard work and. 
try to maybe find a way to have a little walking garden in the backyard, which nice. doesn't get used for anything else. Uh, so, but but that's just a, an hour a day every couple of days or something. While I try to get my mind around what I want it to do, but uh, it's a like what Scott was saying earlier. It's a chance to get outside and you know not be cooped up in in the house for you know the duration of this thing. Yeah, that idea that nature will take over, man, that that is some true stuff. And, of course, there's some great horror films that uh, go in that direction of you know, nature coming to life and uh, attacking us and whatnot. There's some- yeah, I don't even know if I want to watch any of those movies right now because uh, the combination of uh – of, of all of this, you know, keeping people off the roads, and, and of course, I'm in Eastern Kentucky, where we've had the the decline of the coal mining industry, and there's yeah. it's become the, the wilderness has taken back over. We have so many, like it, once a week, I see a bear. Uh, coyotes are everywhere. There, you know, I had to escort a snake out of the yard Sunday, yeah. uh, and it's which I'm sure there's a lot more snakes there than what I escorted, but you know. I saw it, so I got rid of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think really the wilderness is taking over in uh, in Appalachia, which is in some ways wonderful, in other ways uh, a little bit frightening. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. What kind of snake was it? Uh, this was just a corn snake. I actually literally picked it up, and uh, I, I did. I was not joking about escorting it out of the yard. <laughs> I did a few months ago. Uh, right at the very beginning of warmth, uh, I came out of my house and stepped about three inches from a copperhead. Uh, that's the only. Well, we have we have uh, rattlesnakes and copperheads in Appalachia. Uh, rattlesnakes tend to be in, only up in the forest in the woods. Uh, you don't really see them much near properties, but copperheads are everywhere. And, and sort of kind of once you see one, you probably have a bunch more around. Mm. Uh, they are very painful, but uh, as far as I know, there's never been a fatality from one. They they are venomous, but uh, they are not. Uh, particularly dangerous as far as like killing someone uh, but it's not nice to see them we uh, the same morning i saw a bear in my garbage i saw a a copperhead i'm like this is getting ridiculous yeah but oh man my, my wife would i mean she there's no way she'd be able to handle that wow we saw we saw one snake once and like i you know I had to convince her to stay put, you know, in our house, so we didn't. Well, my it. my brother kept pet snakes uh, when he lived with me in college. Uh, I, I was in grad school and he was an undergrad, uh, and it sort of got me where I, snakes don't really bother me. I've handled yeah. them and stuff, uh, but uh, it's different when they're poisonous, uh, venomous. Sure, it, it really is. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it messed with me. I was nervous for three days after almost stepping on it. Gosh. And I killed it dead. <laughs> I cut it into little bitty pieces with a hoe. Like I just could not stop cutting it. <laughs> I did not want it near me. I wanted to leave it there for a warning to its fellows. <laughs> well, that is a nice segue into the kinds of films we're going to talk about tonight, which uh, we're going to talk about zombie movies tonight, and in particular, zombie comedies. And so we're going to do a segment tonight that we haven't done in a long time. It's called Ghost Sightings, and it's an opportunity for us just to kind of briefly talk about something that we've seen. So let's go into our Ghost Sightings segment. Oh, sure, Earl. Everybody knows about them. We just didn't tell you. There was a 2019 film called Little Monsters, which was a zombie comedy film, and I was not particularly, uh, I didn't really know much about the film. Scott, you said you had seen it and thought, hey, or you hadn't seen the film, but you had heard about it, and you thought that it had received some pretty good reviews. And so we thought, well, maybe this would be the next movie that we reviewed. And you said, well, I'll watch it just to make sure it's good. Uh, I didn't have anything to do. I, I watched it the same night you did. Danny hasn't seen it. Uh, but you and I walked away from it thinking, well, there were some points of interest. There were some things that worked well, but it wasn't necessarily great. So we thought we would just do it on a ghost sightings, make a couple of comments about it, and then uh, move on to our creature feature for tonight. So yeah, maybe just give me your takeaway on little monsters, and I'll tell you kind of what I thought, and we can see where they overlap. So what what did you come away with from the film? Okay, so... Um just real briefly it's about a kindergarten teacher and she takes a a class of kindergartners kind of on a field trip to sort of a i think it's a nature park or something like that and the zombie apocalypse happens while they're there and she's trying to keep them safe and also 
um, not let them get scared. So she's telling them it's a game and all this kind of thing. And what I, I mean, the movie had its charms. There was a romance. Um, the uncle of one of the little kids was trying to woo her, and um, and so there was some there was some heart, and the ending had some heart, I thought. But the action sequences were very weak. The um, scariness of the zombies was very weak, and it was a comedy, but. I just thought those things were uh, very, very detrimental to the film. What I liked the most was the performance of of the actress Lupita Nyong'o, who's uh, Kenyan, American, something like that. And she, I thought she did a great job. I I think she's going to be a huge star. She was the, you know, the kindergarten teacher of the film. So I, I thought I was impressed with her, but I don't think she had that much, you know, material to work with. Yeah, a very similar response. As I'm watching the movie, there wasn't really uh, much of a build-up to the film. Um, it's just kind of like, boom, the zombies, you saw them escape, but it's just like they were there. And we're going to contrast that with what we see in uh, Shaun of the Dead in just a minute when we talk about it. Uh, her performance really was fantastic. Um, and, and Josh Gad had one really really funny scene uh or i was laughing <laughs> quite hard but overall i just felt like scene after scene it it just kept every scene i'm like oh man that could have been so much more you know what i mean yeah. like it it just seemed to fall a little flat and it's not even necessarily something you can say well that's clearly why and and i agree with you the zombies were it, they looked like uh, arcade zombies to me. Something that you would find in arcade game, like the like shoot 'em up arcade. They di- they just didn't work very well for me. Uh, I, I much preferred uh, the Shaun of the Dead's approach. And um, I don't know, man. It just I, I actually found my my mind wandering as I was watching the film. Just I just wasn't super engaged. Yeah. Uh, having and- said that, I, the ukulele, you know, the music <laughs> aspect of it was kind of cool. Um, there at the end, she was able to, the music had an impact on the zombies, you know, as they were trying to get away. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the romance story, even though he was one of the most unlikable people ever, right at the beginning of the film, uh, the uncle, he had no redeeming qualities really. And so he came definitely full circle or, or not full circle. He, he turned all the way around and went the other direction by the end of the movie. So that was nice to see. But yeah, that's what I mean. I, there was there were moments where I thought it had heart, where you know he makes a change. He kind of understands that he needs to grow up um, through this whole thing, and and so that that was kind of neat. But just getting there was, and sometimes it was actually kind of painful. <laughs> that's right. So I don't think we can recommend Little Monsters. Um, you know, not really a full thumbs up. Had some moments of. Uh, some laughter and some interest, but yeah, no, didn't like it as much as what we are about to do, which is our creature feature segment. They wiggle and they dance. Okay, Shaun of the Dead, a 2004 zombie horror comedy directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg. Uh, almost an instant classic when it came out. Fans loved it. it has a, still has a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot. Um, it's uh, an English film, right? This was filmed in London, I think. Is that right? I don't know why I said that. I think it's set there. Yeah. Let's see. Let me. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So the the film definitely takes place in London, and. Um, it looks like uh, the film has been rated as one of the like 50 greatest comedy films based on one channel. So it just has uh, great feedback from fans and critics alike. So we thought, hey, we talked about Little, Z- uh, Little Monsters a little bit. Let's get into Shaun of the Dead. We've never reviewed this movie, and maybe this is a good one to kind of pick apart a little bit. So um, I, uh, does either of you want to give just a real quick plot synopsis danny you want to go for it i'm sure this actually is a really really quick plot synopsis there's not much in the way of plot yeah um so uh so you have uh sean and uh his uh flatmate uh ed that's uh, simon Pegg and nick frost uh you, you know work together a lot and are almost always great together and um along with 
Sean's mother and girlfriend and um, hangers-on of his girlfriend, uh, they are battling uh, what is an emerging zombie apocalypse. So this sort of takes place in a similar time frame with, as the early parts of Night of the Living Dead, where we get to see the very first stages of a potential apocalypse. And it just follows them through uh, their battles with the zombies and a little bit of a of human growth there. Maybe just a little tiny bit. But the first thing I want to talk about is the soundtrack. <laughs> because if you have, uh, if you love zombie movies, then you've seen the Romero films, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. I mean, he did some other ones that don't really matter. But Dawn of the Dead in particular is always known for its soundtrack, Goblin, and the music that you hear, especially when they're inside the mall. And when the zombies invade the mall for that, uh, for the big sequence where they finally break in and the hiding place gets destroyed in, in the original Dawn of the Dead, there's a very, very memorable uh, soundtrack there. And that soundtrack uh, shows up in Shaun of the Dead. Did either of you hear it? Did you make the connection to it? I don't know if I made the connection that it was the actual one. I, I probably read it as a homage. I, I'm not the one to really pick out sound. Uh, I know for a fact my daughter tries to get me to do all these uh, name the score and she'll play a movie score and I'm never correct. So I'm not really the one to be able to do that. Well, I just I love that Goblin. You know what I'm you know what I'm I, really, about oh, I absolutely do too. I have I have it on LP, but I it's again things don't stick with me. Yeah, for Without some lyrics. reason, there's this there's there's this one progression of uh, the soundtrack when the zombies come into the mall. And they, uh, of course, it's not the same song, but they uh, the exact same uh, version. But they, uh, whoever did the soundtrack for Shaun of the Dead, uh, they basically redid the song. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you the scene that it shows up. You remember when? Um, Sean is saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in Pete's car. We're going to go and get what's-her-name, and then we're going to drive. And it does that like three or four times, do you remember? And then right. it, it shows the real quick cuts of what they're going to be doing. Like, that's when that soundtrack is being played, the Goblin soundtrack. And uh, so then I, did, I, was, I was sure that I was right, but then I jumped online. It's like, is the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack in Shaun of the Dead? And sure enough, uh, you know, I got it confirmed there. Scott, what about you? Do you pick up on musical, you know, cues like that, or not so much? Well, probably not as much. And and I, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen any of the Romero movies, and I, I'm the zombie subgenre is not my my favorite thing. Sometimes I I don't follow music as closely as I as I used to, but I do like the Goblin. I, I mean, what I know about God the band Goblin. They're Italian, right? And they... Yes. Um, Suspiria. They did yeah, the soundtrack for Suspiria. Yeah. And that, I that is, is burned into my brain. Yeah, definitely a classic soundtrack. But I, I just wanted to start there because I thought from beginning to the end, I, I loved the soundtrack. I thought it worked really well. And again, it really is, a, I think, a tipping of the hat to what we've seen in the Romero films. Yeah, I think that is a really good sign. And I will probably get to this later, but that this is... This is not a satire of the genre, and it and it's not a, a parody of the genre. It really is a you know a genre comedy. It's, it, I, I think you know though it does you know take a hit at some of those tropes. It is it, it it has real respect for the for the genre that it's in. Yes. Yeah. Even as it make laughs at it a little bit, right, or, or or puts a comedic spin on it, you can tell that there's there's a definite love of uh, the. The genre, for sure. Um, let's think about how the, the movie progresses from the beginning. One of the issues I had with Little Monsters, as I mentioned, is uh, you get a little bit of building up on the uncle storyline, but then the zombies just kind of appear, and bam, here we go. And I, I guess somebody might think, well, at least it just gets straight to the action. But we, are, we have a, a very long build-up, and again, it's kind of it's comical because they just... Sean is not paying any attention. He he thinks he might see something weird, and then something happens that diverts his attention away from the zombie. And it takes a pretty good amount of time until they finally realize that these two things in their garden are, in fact, zombies. Um, so let's just talk about that a little bit. 
was that funny? Uh, did, you, did you think that that added to the film that we went through probably 15 or 20 minutes of them can keep missing the fact that there's a zombie apocalypse going on? Scott, what, what, did, that, what did that mean? Yeah, I love that. Because um, really in the very beginning of the, of the movie, there's one part where you see Sean waking up and he's, he's walking in the kitchen and he's just still asleep and he's yawning. And he, he's walking like a, a zombie and moaning like a zombie, even though he hasn't been zombified. And then they have this part where he walks from his flat to the little store where he gets his morning coffee and so on. And then, then the next day, when he does that very same route and walks, it's all in one take, he goes over there. But you know, it's early in the morning, he's still half asleep, but there's a car that's crashed and there are zombies walking down the streets and there's trash everywhere. There's blood on the, on the refrigerator door. He slips in some person's blood in the store. And he just, he's oblivious to it. He is a zombie, but... You know, not not a zombie yet. He, well, he never becomes one. But to me, that was hilarious. I, I th- that was just I, I was laughing through that whole thing. Yeah. What about you, Dane? Anything picked up there on the beginning? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Scott. I thought it was hilarious, and and it, it had a little bit of that Dawn of the Dead thing, where you know, even before we're zombies, we're really just zombies. Uh, and so the people on the street that first morning a lot of them aren't behaving particularly differently than the ones of the second morning. Right. And anyone who's watched a zombie film or has any interest in zombie films will probably read very quickly some kind of commentary that says that Romero's zombie movies were basically a, a jab at humanity itself, right? The consumerism or the mentality or uh, the the various ways that we respond to life situations. And so this just took that really to the next level uh, that we are the zombies even before we turn into a zombie, right? Because uh, everybody's so, yeah. looking at their phone. They've got their uh, headphones on and they're they're just in their own little worlds like like zombies. That's right. And what's interesting is this, in 2004, this even predated the apocalypse, if you will, of uh, the smartphone, right? So Ed has a flip phone. Didn't he have a flip phone of some kind? Yeah. So uh, it would have been, you could have even taken that to the next level if the film were made today, uh, how everybody has their heads down and whatnot. Um, Let's see. Of course, I mean, jump in here at any time. I just jotted down a couple of things that we could talk about. I It struck me that the film also goes in the direction that Romero's zombies go, and that is that they remember their past. And uh, this is actually very relevant to the film, relevant to the ending of the film. So the zombies have a certain ability to remember, and there's... They use this one, this idea beautifully in one scene with with great comedy when his stepdad is in the car and he's turned into a zombie. And Sean is convincing his mom that that's no longer her husband. And they had left a, a cassette, I think it was a cassette or whatever, a CD or whatever, in the car that had, uh, it was like heavy metal music or something. And Sean's like, that is not your husband. There is nothing, nothing about him that is even remotely your husband. And then he rings forward and turns off the music. <laughs> and he lets out like a, a sigh of relief. Uh, that was so brilliant, wasn't it? So I just loved that so much. <laughs> that scene is actually uh, a really good scene for a lot of reasons, but I, I, that's that's one of those emotional connection scenes where uh, before the stepfather, who has been portrayed as you know a pretty negative character, before he dies, he he lets Sean know that uh, that he was only tough on him because he was he, he was afraid he would be you know he wouldn't be able to handle things as he grew up without a dad, and and then he turns into a zombie. Like it's it's a very brief moment, but but I do like that you know often with comic horror you lose any kind of human touch hmm. and this film still had it these characters had you know actual human interactions on top of their you know their goofy comedy interactions and i and i, and I think the film doesn't work nearly as well if it wasn't for moments like that i don't think i'd be going back to it 10 years later to watch it again I think that's a great point, and maybe something, again, not to keep comparing these films, but maybe something that Little Monsters didn't quite have. The Josh Gad character in Little Monsters was so unbelievable, right, that it, 
it, it didn't work, in my opinion. He had, it was funny in a couple of scenes, but it was so removed from the reality of real human emotion that it, it was kind of just silly in and of itself. So I think that's a, a good point. But we see this remembering their, again, like in Dawn of the Dead, uh, they go to the shopping mall, and it's a very, um, uh, the dialogue that ensues is very specific. They're coming back to what they know, what they love, what they like, where they're, they're kind of trained to come to this place. And we see that in various ways uh, throughout Shaun of the Dead uh, as well. Did you guys notice the cameo by Martin Freeman? As yeah. One of the <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I, I wasn't either. And I wondered, was he was he somebody then? or Because, or, I mean, I know him from things that have been uh, done much more recently. I don't know if he was famous, as famous at that time in 2004. But, yeah, I did recognize him. He just He didn't even speak. He was just kind of there. Well, he was. In actually, I think they had a lot of these. This crew had worked together on British television, including Freeman. But um, he was part of the the Mirror Group, the other zombie uh, apocalypse yeah. survivors that each had that same archetypal uh, character, and I thought that was hilarious. He, he was he was actually the Sean equivalent, right? He was the other Sean. Yeah, it was so, the boyfriend. Well, I guess he the, wasn't really because his the girlfriend in that group yeah. was was right. was Deshaun, but but he was the boyfriend of the of that. But um, yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. Uh, there was just so many places, so many nerd, you know, so moments that you could nerd out in the film with the references to horror and the references to fantasy, and then uh, character actors that you've seen in other stuff popping up. Uh, it, it makes rewatching it. You know, I, I always notice some little different thing that I didn't notice the first time. Yeah. And a lot going on in the background, uh, zombies eating each other and just movement and generally th things falling apart and a lot in the background to pay attention to uh, in the film. For some reason, this next line, I, I found this to be so funny. I actually paused the film because I was laughing so hard at this. I don't think it's necessarily that funny, but it just struck me. And you can, you guys can tell me some of your favorite funny moments. But at the end, they're in the bar. They have the Winchester wife, uh, rifle, and they've got the shells there. And um, <laughs> Sean says something along the lines of, oh, man, okay, how many bullets do we have left? And so you're expecting, like, oh, we only have three left you know or they have five left and so Ed says we've only got 29 bullets left <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny man. <laughs> and then and then he goes on to basically waste every one of them. he never hits a thing he's six feet from him you know it's just 29 bullets left that's so funny yeah, there's a little bit of the uh, the fact that uh, there's a little bit of that where, where does the competence with weaponry come from if you never fired a gun? Right. But on the other hand, he wrecks havoc with a cricket bat right out of the gate. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about for you guys? What are some of the scenes that you found to be uh, particularly funny or uh, that just maybe worked really well? Has anything come to mind? Well, First I thing Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Our, our, yeah. So the first thing that comes to my mind um, is <laughs> there's when Sean and Ed take their take the car and they go and they get uh, Sean's mom and stepdad. And then they go to get the girlfriend, right, Liz? And to get from the car to her apartment door, there's a there's like a big lawn and there's all sorts of zombies wandering around. Yeah, and like like you said, Danny, he's got his cricket bat. And just that him running across that that field and his uh, choreography and his his jumping around and swinging that bat hitting him in the head, I just th that was just great. And that's that it, what it made me think is that's one place where little monsters really fell short. It, they tried to do that. They had a scene where she had a shovel and she's out there in a on a field with a bunch of zombies, but it the choreography for that one was was much weaker. But this one. The, Every time they were doing that, there were a couple of other spots, and one in the pub at, with the Queen song. I mean, there were lots of moments like that where I thought the choreography of the of the fighting was excellent. Hmm. Yeah, the kill the Queen was that that scene was great. Uh, I'll back up to the near the beginning of the film, that second morning where uh, they're dealing with the two zombies in the backyard, and they figure out they could uh, damage them with his 
his album collection. <laughs> and uh, I just, I love that scene so much. I, I show it in class quite a bit to, to illustrate a couple of things. It just happens to be a funny scene that I could use. And uh, I love the, he's uh, going through the prints. He's like, uh, Purple Rain, oh no, no. Sign of the Times, definitely not. The Batman soundtrack, oh yeah. The ones. <laughs> As a Prince fan, I really appreciate that. Though I do like the Batman soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do too. Uh, yeah, that was good. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Well, let, let me ask this question, and then I, I want to back up as well in just a moment and talk about something from the beginning as well. But this is an interesting question, I think. Um, throughout the film, you're trying to see Sean uh, grow, grow up, be a leader. Uh, he's ridiculed in virtually every sphere of his life, whether it be at work from his 17-year-old co-workers to his roommate to his friend. is in some ways just kind of a loser, even though he's really funny and a good guy. He doesn't really have much ambition in life. He's losing his girlfriend. His girlfriend's friends don't think much of him. He, he's got no real, real no one really rooting for him, which makes that scene in the car with his dad even that much more powerful. And so it's kind of a... a He's growing up, he's trying to lead, he's making decisions, he's wanting to save the day. But, and it, I asked this just, you know, how does the film actually portray the ending for Sean? Did he actually fail? Or did he succeed at the end of the movie? How would you interpret that? Hmm, interesting question. He got the girl. I mean, that's a that's a film thing, right? Uh, he uh, he seems to have settled into the exact same life he was in, except add the girlfriend to the house. That's the part that I find so interesting, because the whole film was moving in a certain kind of direction. You're going to be a man, and I tried to and he's stepping up, and we're making decisions. Everybody dies except the girlfriend. And then at the end of the film, it's just like she's Ed, right? I mean, that's kind of how they're relating. He comes through as a zombie again, as Scott was talking about. I just found that to be interesting. What did you, What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I, yeah, I see it now that you say that. But when I when I viewed it, I was just noticing how Sean becomes a leader. He 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 he, he he's in this tight spot, and he rises to the occasion. And even Ed does a little bit right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, they they rise they grow up. I mean that was his his girl his longtime girlfriend's problem with him is that he had no ambition. And I guess I can see your point that at the end they're really kind. Of, he's in the same apartment. They're, he's playing video games. They're just watching TV. Their their goal for the day is just to go to the pub and come home, watch telly, and go to bed. So I can see that he re- maybe he really didn't grow up. But it, the, that wasn't the impression I had when I watched it. But even even his decisions. In one way, he's making decisions and he's leading, so we can say success there. Mm-hmm. But did his decisions lead to success? You know, oh, would they have been better off to actually stay at the flat with Liz and his friends until the army showed up? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Probably. I mean, it seems like going to the Winchester may not have been the right move. You know, certainly works for the film, of course. Right. But just in terms of the decision making, because okay, let's go back to the uh, to the other camp, the other group that they encounter. That wasn't a former girlfriend of his, was it? It, it, it seemed like I she thought. maybe had an interest in Sean. Yeah, it sound, seemed like it. She was a little disappointed that he was, you know, yeah, still with his girlfriend and stuff. Yeah, so, so she's the kind of the ringleader of that group. Seems like she's pretty confident, making some decisions. And when he tells her his plan, I'm going to the Winchester. <laughs> you almost seem like she wants to say, Sean. That's not a plan, man. You got to do something else, right? Did you all get think that, yeah. or did I make that up? It seems like you know probably they're college, part of the same college group, and she's moved on and had a a, a bit more of a successful life. <laughs> she still feels a little sorry for Sean and the crew that have stayed around their hometown and are still doing the same crappy jobs they were doing when they were seventeen and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah there's there's definitely that. But I think this film loves those people, and I think that this entire trilogy of films you know his other two films and the, what they call it the cornetto trilogy or something like that uh these you know sort of wasted misspent youth that you know that haven't quite grown up or you know and spend their time in pubs that's you know it's the focus of all of these movies and and i think at the end of all of them we 
kind of still like these people mm-hmm. quite a bit. I think you know, I think Edgar Wright loves these characters. Yeah, I think that's insightful. Yeah, good point. Well, um, as as I'm always prone to do, um, I'm watching Shaun of the Dead, a zombie comedy, and I'm asking. Is there any worldview implication here? <laughs> uh, is there anything I can draw from this film uh, that it, it, it involves faith, worldview, and whatnot? And then I, so here's what I came up with. Now, if I'm stretching here, I just want you to call me out on it, but I think I've got something here. Going back to the beginning of the film, when it took a, a good amount of time for Sean to figure out that there is, in fact, a zombie apocalypse happening and everybody around him is getting eaten up to the point when they're right in his backyard, basically meaning in his space. Like he can't avoid it anymore. There they are. They're going to come into the house if they don't go see what's going on. Up to that point, all of the zombies have been background characters. The, his life is the focus, right? The things that are going on, getting Liz back, making the decisions. He forgot to make the, uh, the reservation and he screwed everything up and he has his problems. The zombie apocalypse is happening in the background while his life is moving forward. So um, this is a theme that's been brought up in, in various ways, but in the world of Christian philosophy, this is talked about quite, quite often, which uh, Francis Schaeffer and others have mentioned this, which is that we have a tendency to live our lives in such a way that when we walk into a grocery store and there's 500 other people in the grocery store, they all just serve as the background to our life. The, it's the, they're just like the kind of the noisy, blurry background to whatever's going on in our life, what the focus is, what really matters, what really means something. And we kind of fail to forget that all 500 people in the grocery store have a story, they have an important story, and that they are processing things through their lens as well. And sometimes it's not until something comes in our own backyard and in our garden, as it were, where we begin to pay attention to the fact that there's other things going on in the world and that it's bigger than just us. So pretty certain that probably wasn't the intent uh, of those those opening scenes, but it made me think of that, that it's hard for us to live in such a way where we're reminded that the people in the background are, in fact, people and that they matter and that they have lives that are needing to be lived and they need uh, one another and all that kind of stuff so scott what do you think yeah i i think that's i think that's a bit profound philip i, I think you got you're onto something when i mean we've already talked about this but but it really made an impression on me that at the beginning where everybody's just kind of zoned out when they're going through life they're not they have jobs they're not happy with they have relationships that don't mean much you know everybody that they're showing just seems to be kind of dull and life isn't isn't very exciting and you know so there's zombies before there's zombies and you know we we talked about this just a second ago you know because this was made before the invention of the smartphone but i don't know if you guys have seen there's a video i'm going to send you the link and if you want, you can put it on the show notes or something. But there's a there's a, a song by Moby, and he he and the the song's not important, but he's got an animated. You could look this up on YouTube. He's got an animation, and it's all about it's all cr- criticizing people walking around glued to their phones, not really paying attention to the people around them. So I mean that 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 impression kind of kind of came on my came to mind but and then the the second thing the second point i'd make and this isn't a big thing but there were at least two times in the film where you heard overheard tv news broadcasters um where they were uh saying that is this the end times religious Hmm. figures are calling this a sign of the end times but the prime minister says that it has nothing to do with religion there were a couple of moments where where that was kind of pointed out i don't know i mean i wondered if if that meant anything. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, the original Night of the Living Dead, um, if I'm remembering correctly, Romero actually gave, didn't he say that something had uh, came from, was it something from outer space? Do you guys yeah, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And that was in this too. Okay. Well, okay. So that's what I was going to ask. Wasn't he on a channel 
and it said, it seems that the cause of the outbreak has been, and then he changed the channel and we don't get to hear the end of it. But, there's, did, an, but did, there's another, right at the very beginning when he goes into the, the shop, that you hear the radio overhead or some at some point in there where, where they said space probes are re-entering the Earth's atmosphere or something oh, like that. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. So that is a Night of the Living Dead thing. Yeah. It was, Did yeah. you catch the 28 Days Later reference, too? I don't know. Where the, was it? it someplace at, toward the end, again, it was a news broadcast, and I heard something about, you know, enraged monkeys. And that uh, made me think, 28 Days Later, which came out in 2002. Yeah, that's right. And that was really good. I yeah. love that movie. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right, Scott, because, again, right now we're in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, and I don't know about what life is like in uh, Lutheran circles, especially uh, conservative Lutherans, but Baptists aren't too bad about this. Uh, but I certainly have uh, a group who is um, signaling the end of the world, right? Yeah, that sure. the, the Lord is coming soon uh, because this is just another one of the signs that's leading us to that end time. And uh, I think one uh, aspect of our faith is that whenever there is something catastrophic that happens in the world, we're going to have a tendency to interpret that through the lens of the eschaton uh, and that the Lord is, is, is coming soon. Uh, that's what I love about the idea of Jesus coming soon. We can say that with a straight face. We just don't know what the word soon means, right? <laughs> so is COVID-19 a part of that? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, probably not. Uh, day is but like yeah, that's definitely years. in the film. What's yeah. that like in Eastern Kentucky? That that what does Letcher County? Uh, how do they interpret these kinds of things, man? Do you do you hear into the world and you know repent now and that kind of thing in Eastern Kentucky when this stuff happens? Yeah, I've not honestly not uh, for this current thing at all. It's been I, I think it might be a this is I won't say embarrassing, but it's not really embarrassing. But this is maybe a, a, a negative thing to say, but. I think so many people here kind of think the whole thing is blown out of proportion that they're they're not attributing anything biblical to it. Wow. They think it's all political. Uh, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of people who who really think it's all been overblown. And and if I you know when I go out to shop, it's amazing how many people are, you know aren't wearing any kind of protective gear, uh, aren't obeying the the. You know, the social distancing guidelines and so that might be it but i haven't heard of this obviously uh, we hear it for lots of things there, especially from the pulpit there's a whole lot of signs uh, at all times but uh, i haven't really heard it about this yeah you know within the, your lutheran camp just in particular scott is talk of the end times a conversation that is popular among your group or not so much um, probably not as well. Certainly not as much as some other branches of Christianity and American evangelicalism or something. So Lutherans don't tend to um, speculate or, or you know deal a lot with trying to connect specific prophecies to current events. There are some, but it, it, it's not a popular sort of theme. But we do preach about the second coming of Christ. We do talk about being ready for. The return of Christ, and there are seasons in the traditional church calendar where that is the emphasis. Um, you know, it can happen. You can it can show up anytime, but there are actually parts of the calendar where we're supposed to talk about the the return of Christ and being yeah. ready. So, so it gets yeah, it's there. It's so interesting to see that how how different faith groups tend to respond to and think about the end times. My wife came out of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. And I don't know if you know much about Adventism, um, but end-time prophecy is huge, mm -hmm. absolutely huge. It's uh, very easy uh, for those in that faith tradition to really fixate on the idea of when Christ will return. And so some within her camp, her friends from a time past, they are very, very interested, keeping up with every detail on what is happening because they're convinced this is yet another sign of the fact that the Lord's return is imminent. And again, with Baptists, not so much uh, here and there, but, you know, it, if there really was a zombie apocalypse, I guarantee you those television news channels would be saying that for certain, mm -hmm. that faith groups would be 
And we would probably be right at that point if there really was an outbreak of zombies. <laughs> uh, chances are that's going to be a sign of not good things happening. Hey, one little, uh, not, maybe not a critique. Uh, tell me if I missed something. So they're behind the bar. They set the bar on fire. People are dying. Not good things are happening. And Ed all of a sudden remembers, oh, yeah, there's a trap door here that goes down into a cellar that looks pretty safe. Um, you know, is that a problem for either of you guys or just one of those things you just kind of got to laugh and go with it? I think those old pubs absolutely would have that. That does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but right, why, but, I mean, why not? It wouldn't surprise me. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, that would have been the place to go immediately. <laughs> right. Because he thought there was a way out of there, which there turned out to be. But he, uh, so yeah, you, you're right. It's a little bit of Deus Ex Machina, right? You got to have that yeah. in horror movies. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's what I've got kind of on my notes here. Anything you guys want to fill in or uh, add to the discussion? No, I'll just say that uh, if anyone listening you know, has interest in other genres, the, all three films in this trilogy uh, take shot at different genres. There's, uh, oh, Lord, is it Hot Fuzz? Something yeah. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, that's Hot the Fuzz, the, the police one. Um, why is my brain not working? Guys, what's the other one? Oh, at the world's end, which that is an alien, which is an alien invasion one involving a pub crawl with you know characters much like these characters, um, and they're both very very good, and and they both treat the genres that they're parodying or uh, or, or doing a comedy within. They treat them both fairly and uh, with respect, and are you know are great fun. So I've got. I haven't a, seen either one of them in a long time though, so now I'm thinking I might need to rewatch those also. So let me just ask you, you know, we're talking about zombies, so in some ways this just this question has to be asked. Of the first three, Romero, the original zombie trilogy, Night, Dawn, Dead, or I'm sorry, Night, Dawn, and Day, uh, Danny, which is your favorite film of the original trilogy? Uh, it's definitely Dawn. I teach Dawn constantly. I have actually rediscovered Night as a really really good film and uh and i think day is really underappreciated i think all three of those films are very very good uh not for what it did with an almost non-existent budget uh what it did for you know how you know it handled race and all Mm. sorts of interesting issues and then dawn which was just flat you know was flat societal satire it was just wonderful plus that's the makeup effects and you know Savini's work and it's so good and then Day ends up being really really fascinating study and like obedience to authority uh, just I think they're all three wonderful films yeah I agree what about you Scott yeah I like them too I I, I don't know I haven't probably watched and rewatched them as, as much as you guys have the Romero movies but I was a pastor in Pittsburgh for a while so there is that southern southwestern Pennsylvania connection with George Romero so I, I, that's what got me interested originally the first time for me to watch those films um, yeah so I, I guess I would say Night of the Living Dead it sticks in my mind as, as a classic as a genre um, you know it's it's you know iconic in a way but let me let me just throw this in here real quick. Another thought. It, it's not really about Shaun of the Dead. It's really more about Dawn of the Dead, which is where the word the name Shaun of the Dead is a takeoff. There, it's a short story. So Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King, and he is a writer of his own, and he writes horror. Okay, so I've just recently been getting into Joe Hill's short stories. He's got a collection called 20th Century Ghosts. And in that collection, he's got a, a really, really great story called Bobby Conroy Comes Back from the Dead. And it's about sort of a, a failed comedian who goes back to his hometown uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania and runs into his old high school girlfriend and their extras in the filming of Dawn of the Dead. So you've got Savini in this in this story. You've got George Romero in this story. They're in that's the one in the mall, right? And the and they're going through that and they're you know uh, getting set up with squibs to shoot blood out. It's it's a really warm and funny and, and entertaining story. So if you if you like to read short fiction or short horror, it it's horror adjacent, not really 
horror maybe, but it's called Bobby Conroy Comes Back from the Dead. Great, man. Thanks for the tip in, in 20th Century Ghosts. Yeah, the whole collection is awesome. He's awesome. I've actually read, I've read that. That's it. I think the only Joe Hill I haven't read. Um, his other collection, Strange Weather, yeah. I thought was really, really good. And I liked Horns a lot also, the book. Uh, uh, I did not like uh, the other two novels quite as much. But uh, I really like Lock and Key. Uh, that has been a really good graphic novel series. So, yeah, I'll, hmm. I, I need to pick up 20th Century Ghosts. It's, I loved it. So he's got, as far as I know, Joe Hill has two collections of short stories. One's called Full Throttle and one's called 20th Century Ghosts. And then there's the, the Strange Weather, which is like four novellas. Correct. And, and that's all I've read. I haven't read any of his full-length novels. I've just read those, those three. And I was bowled over by them. I think he's, at least in those examples, I think he's better than his, a better writer than his dad. Wow. A lot of his... Uh he shares I think he shares with his dad the the short work is better yeah. and Stevie King's short stories and novellas are amazing um, his novels sometimes could use an editor uh, and I think Joe Hill also spends a lot of time sort of rambling in his novels to get to the good parts uh, but his short stories are, and novellas have been pretty fascinating to read so. well he looks like his dad looking yeah. at a picture of him right here yeah he does. I, he's he's actually in Lock and Key, the TV series, and I thought it was Stephen King, and I thought they had just done like young age makeup to make him look younger, but it was oh, actually his son, and his son, and Joe Hill's older than I thought he was. That's neat. Wonderful, man. Thanks yeah. for the, thanks for the tip. And I'd love to do some segments when I don't read I don't read fiction very much, but I'd love to do some segments on here where you guys talk about some of your favorite. Um, horror novels, novellas, short stories. Uh, I think that would be really interesting to hear you all talk about that. It'd be sure. cool. Well, that's it. Anything else, Danny, you've got from the film? No, no. Uh, I'm glad to talk about something a little bit light and, uh, and, and not to have to delve too deeply into the human psyche this week. Uh, it's real. It, this was just a fun one to talk about. Yeah, you know, we did. We, it wasn't a deer, but we did have you know a couple of zombies taken out by the car. No, so no. We, the the thing. We are continued. not safe for pedestrians. Yeah, that's right. Be careful out there in that car. Well, this is the guys from theblackesteyes.com saying thanks for listening. Again, we love to hear from you. Let us know how you're doing out there and what your thoughts are on the podcast and on Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and until we see you next week, we sure hope you stay safe and you stay scared. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.